You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 15. We'll talk uh, at a high level about this whole section, but really we'll spend all of our time in verses 9 and 10. If you are new, my name's Jamin. Welcome to Citizens Church. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for uh, joining us uh, wherever you are. If you're watching online, thank you uh, for joining. Um, This is our last Sunday in uh, the series that we've been in called In Christ. And uh, it's been a few months since we started. We started this series at the end of August. And, And if you remember, if you were here, when we started at the end of August, we began Uh, by just asking a really basic question. Uh, What does it mean to be a Christian? And uh, I know we're asking that question in a room um, full of people who mostly would probably identify as Christians and call ourselves a Christians. And so we just said, what does that mean to be a Christian? There's a lot of ways to answer that question, but the answer that we've been offering um, is that being a Christian means being in Christ. It means being united to Jesus. Uh, We share in his identity and we share in his story and we are connected to and we belong a part of his people. Uh, And so we are loved by him and being united to him and and by grace we are changed uh, to look like him. But all of the Christian life happens uh, under this uh, reality of being joined to him. Uh, And really the last few months have just been us going to different places in the New Testament and, and really steeping in that truth of being united to Jesus. Uh, I want to end the series this morning by asking a similar question, um, but differently. It might be, at at its heart, the same question, just with different words. But uh, here's the question. What's the point? What's the point? Um, What is the point of being united to Jesus? Or if what it means to be a Christian is to be in Christ, what's the point of being a Christian? It's another basic question. Here's what I think is true for us, friends. Uh, These questions are really important um, because we live in an area of the world that is still relatively religious, and with that, the point of Christianity can easily get confused and easily get distorted. We can can drift from the very center of, of what it means to be a Christian and the point of being a Christian. So I was talking to a friend the other day about a show uh, that we had both watched And it's one of those shows where season one was really great, and then season two was really not great. It like, um, whatever season one did, season two just couldn't recapture or recreate. And so his critique of the show was this. He said, they lost the plot. It means they, maybe you've heard that phrase, what it means is it means they strayed so far from whatever the central story was, that when you're watching it, you're no longer sure what the story's about or where the story is headed. They lost the plot. And that makes for really bad storytelling. We live in a part of the world and we live in a time in history where a lot of Christians have lost the plot, have strayed so far from what is central to being a Christian so far from the Christian story that we forget where all this is headed, and that makes for really bad Christianity. John Ortberg, he's a pastor and an author, he says it like this, perhaps one of the greatest barriers to faith is not the things we don't know, but the things we think we know yet we're wrong about. We think of salvation as being able to avoid pain rather than being made right. 
We think of the gospel as the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven rather than the announcement that life with God is now possible on earth through Jesus. The first line is a bit haunting. One of the greatest barriers to faith is not the things we don't know, but the things we think we know yet we're wrong about. That's really unsettling. Like in other words, it's just so easy to actually miss the point and not even know that we've missed the point. And look, maybe you'd agree with this. I don't wanna live that kind of life with respect to anything, being wrong about what I think is right. I especially don't wanna live like that when it comes to life with Jesus. Uh, but here's the truth. We, we are surrounded by wrong answers to the question around us, inside of us. So the point of being a Christian is doing things for God so that God does things for me. Like we have this deal worked out where I don't make God mad and in return, God doesn't make me hurt. The point of being a Christian is knowing I'm better than others and I can feel good about judging others. It makes me feel superior. The point of being a Christian is like, I'm not sure what happens after you die, but if it is true that there's like a better place to go and then there's a worse place to go, I really would like to go to the better place and I think Jesus helps with that. The point of being a Christian is not screwing up because God kind of loves me but doesn't a lot love me and so this whole thing hinges on my best behavior. Those answers have lost the plot. They have missed the point. Those answers, the kinds of answers, they are wrong about what I think I know. And so... What would you say? I wonder, what would, you, what would your answer be? Like if you sit down to coffee with a friend and they ask, hey, what's the point of being a Christian? And you say, I, you know, I thought we were just gonna do the small talk thing, but okay. Uh, and so you think about it and then you inject a huge dose of caffeine and then you pause for a minute and then you answer, what do you say? Here's the answer our passage gives this morning and we'll spend all of our time unpacking this truth. It's, it's the, the only point I have. The point of Christianity is being at home with God. The point of Christianity is being at home with God. So you and I, at the end of this In Christ series, we have been united to Christ so that we can be at home with God. Um, There are other ways to say what I just said. You could say the point of Christianity is relationship with God, and that'd be true or the point of Christianity is fellowship with God, or the point of Christianity is communion with God. We'll talk about that. The Westminster Catechism, if you're familiar, at the very beginning it says the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The language I'm using to say all of that is being at home with God. And that language comes right out of the passage that we're in this morning. You, Christian, are in Christ so that you might be at home with God. Look at verse 9 of chapter 15 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Uh, This section is verses one through 11, and Jesus in this section uses the word abide 11 times, and it's mostly a command. Abide in me, abide in my words, abide in my love. The illustration that surrounds the command uh, that Jesus uses is the branch and the vine, and it's a union with Christ metaphor. We've talked about it 
uh, before. Uh, we are joined to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to illustrate that, and he says it's like a branch that is part of a vine, and the branch gets life from the vine, has to be connected to the vine to live, and he's saying that as Christians, we are so intimately connected to Jesus, we get our life from Jesus, and that's what it means to be united to him. But the word abide that we hear 11 times is a different kind of image. Jesus is uh, somewhat mixing his metaphors here. To abide is just to stay somewhere. It means to dwell. It means to remain. It's home language. So here's how Eugene Peterson translates this verse. Verse nine. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, Jesus says. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. God's word is inviting us to think about this in a way that I have found really helpful. Um, Our union with Jesus satisfies, is connected to our longing for home. So, So think with me about what home means. I was catching up with one of our church members a few weeks ago and he asked, how are things at home? It's a deeply personal question. Uh, That's different than how are things at work or tell me about your hobbies, how's your pickleball career going, right? Those are all different questions. Home is weightier than all of that. Like if you had to choose between things falling apart at work or things falling apart at home, you choose falling apart at work and there's a long list of people who wish they could go back and make a different choice than the one they made. Because if home is stable and healthy and life-giving, you can almost endure anything outside of that. But if home is a wreck, everything's affected by that. Um, Home is this place of belonging and safety and security. So it's family, but it's not just family. It's both people and place. So like maybe you love to vacation and you leave home a lot, but think of how disorienting it would be, how sad it would be if you're on vacation and you get a call that your house burned down. You lost a sense of having somewhere to return to. It's disorienting because we all need place, right? Think of how our desire for home just culturally is reflected in like our books and our movies and our songs. So in The Lord of the Rings, Frodo dreams of home. He longs to return to the Shire. He misses home. If you need something more uh, violent than that, in the movie Gladiator, uh, Maximus wants to go back to his wheat fields. At the end of his life, he has visions of returning home. One of my favorite movies growing up was Homeward Bound. It's just the perfect film. It's all about being displaced and returning home, and in the end, all is made right because everyone makes it back home for a moment. You think Shadow didn't make it, but then he does, and everyone cries, some people cry. If the question is, uh, tell me about your home growing up, that conversation is a mixed bag, right? Tell me about your childhood home. Well. For some, it was full of joy, and for others, it was full of pain, and for many, it was full of both. But nobody's neutral when you ask that question. We would talk about a home that we miss, or we would talk about a home that was missing the kinds of things that a home should have, or we would say it was a bit of both. I was talking my daughter in a few nights ago, and uh, we'd had a good day. It It was just a good day for the rollers. And she said, Dad, I love being a kid. And she said, being a kid is the best. And then she said, you and mom are grown, and you have to make all these decisions. (laughs) 
And I felt so seen, right? So many decisions. But she loves being a kid. And I left her room. I stood right outside of her door, and I, I just prayed a short prayer that by God's grace, as she gets older, she would remember our home as a place where being a kid was the best. And I pray those prayers a lot for my kids. I think all the time about how our home is influencing our children and shaping our children, because that's what homes do, for better or for worse. Home is powerful, and we know this. And I think, I think most of us have a vision for what it should look like. Uh, Josh Garrels is a musician and an artist, and he has a whole album called Home, and in one of his songs he says this, who is there at the end of Lonesome Roads? All of us hope there's a home, a place to rest, where wounds get dressed, the table's full and there's laughter in the halls. It's a vision for what home should be, a place of healing and rest and good food and laughter. And all of us hope that we have that kind of home someday. All of us hope we're creating that kind of home, but all of us hope we, we ultimately exist in that kind of home, right? Now, I throw all that out there to simply say this. There is in you a longing for home. And maybe the last few minutes didn't capture what that feels like for you, but if we had the time to search our souls, we would find this shared desire for place and people and belonging and acceptance, and few words hold all of that together like the word home. And that longing, please hear me, is a signal sent from our soul telling us something, not just about us, but about God. The reason we have a shared longing for home is because we were made to be at home with God. That's the story the Bible tells. There's a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf. There's a really good chance I mispronounced that. But if he was here saying my name, he'd probably say Jammin or something like that, so we're even. Miroslav Volf is a professor at Yale Divinity School, and he wrote a book called The Home of God, a brief story of everything. And here's what he says. The story of everything is the story of God coming to dwell in and with human beings and the world. It is the story of God making God's home on earth such that it becomes at last our true home as well. Have you ever thought of the story of the world this way? that God making his home with us and us making our home with him is the story of everything? This is, this is the plot. In the beginning, God creates and he makes a home. But the home that he makes in Genesis is not just for humanity, it's for God. God is there. He walks with them. So the beginning of the story is a happy home with God. And when humanity rebels against God, the home is broken. And so we're all born into a broken home world and we are part of the broken home problem. That's the beginning. Happy home, ruined by sin. Listen to how the story ends. This is Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among humanity. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. The former things have passed away. Behold, he is making all things new. The story ends with a happy home restored by God. It's the place to rest where wounds get dressed. Tears dry. Death dies. We are his people forever at home with our kind God. The story of everything begins a happy home ruined by sin. 
It ends a happy home fully restored by God. And in between beginning and end, you have Jesus looking at his friends and followers and saying, you are united to me like a branch and a vine. I have loved you like the Father has loved me. Make your home here. In the middle of the story of everything is a Savior sharing his Father's love and inviting you home. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Would you look at that verse with me? It's so important. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus says something similar when he prays in chapter 17. So he's not talking to his disciples anymore. He's just talking to God. And he says this in verses 24 and 26. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. One more time. Because you loved me, Jesus, talking to the Father, because you loved me before the foundation of the world, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Goodness, slow down with me and see how remarkable this is. No one has ever loved anything like the Father has loved the Son. It is the greatest love story in all of history. Not only is the love the Father has for the Son pure, never selfish, never foolish, never passive-aggressive, never self-seeking, never manipulative. It's all the 1 Corinthians 13 patient, kind, enduring. Not only is it pure, it's timeless. You've loved me before the foundation of the world, before there was anything at all. When the Bible says God is love, it's because it's what God has always been doing. Even more foundational than God as creator, God is lover, because there has never been a moment in all of eternity where the Father has not loved the Son. It's who he is. And before he created a happy home in Genesis 1, he forever existed as a kind of Trinitarian home of love, and out of that home he creates. Here is Michael Reeves. He's a theologian who wrote the best book on the Trinity I've ever read. I've read like three. Um, (laughs) He says this, The Father loved him before the creation of the world. And the reason the Father sends him is so that the Father's love for him might be in others also. That's why the Son goes out from the Father in both creation and salvation that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared. So when you became a Christian, it was a kind of homecoming not just a homecoming back to Genesis 1, but a homecoming back to what was always happening before God ever created. You were welcomed into the pure, timeless home of love that has forever existed in God. Ephesians 1 says before anything was made, God decided that you'd be adopted into this. The most popular story Jesus tells about salvation is a child who leaves home, comes back home, begs to be a servant, and the father fully restores him as a son. That is what happened to me when I became a Christian. That is what happened to you when you became a Christian. We, as lost humanity, were found by our heavenly Father and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our brother, are welcomed home by God. You've been united to Jesus and you've been welcomed into the family of God. The love the Father has for the Son is now yours because you're united to the Son. You're at home with God. There's the next verse. Abide in that love. Make yourself at home in that love. 
Okay, so if it's done, if we've already been united to Jesus, then why does he have to say this? Um, it would be like uh, if I went to my children and I said, hey, this, this home is yours. This family is, is yours. You'll always be a part of this family. You're completely accepted here. You belong here. Here's what I need you to do. Make your home here. That would confuse them, right? How, how can this be more of my home than it already is? Well, theologians make a distinction here that I think is really helpful. My friend Kyle Worley is writing a, a book about this, and it's been really helpful to me. There are two sides to what Jesus is saying. There's union with Christ, and then there's communion with God. A union is fixed, unchanging. You can never lose it. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, it's secure. If Jesus loves you the way that the Father has loved him, that is an unconditional, untarnishable, irrevocable love. You are safe and secure in that love. You are at home, that's union. But communion isn't fixed, it changes. Um, It's affected by our thoughts and affected by our actions and affected by our obedience. Ultimately, it's something that we play a part in. One author said it this way, God's love for us does not change, but our experience of his love does change. So Jesus is saying, you're at home and also make your home here. Um, Remember what's happening when Jesus first says this. Over the next few days, he's going to die and he comes back to life. And in a few weeks, he ascends to heaven and will be gone. And And the disciples that he's talking to, his friends and his followers, They have only known, they have only known face-to-face life with Jesus. They have literally for three years remained with Jesus. These are people that are used to seeing him every day and eating with him and learning from him and laughing with him and drinking coffee with him. That's not in the Bible, but that's my truth. They made their home with his physical presence. And then here's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to learn how to remain and how to abide and how to be at home with him even though he's absent. And they've never had to do that. But that's all we've ever known. We've never seen Jesus face to face. We have the Spirit of God, our helper and our comforter, but we are at a point in the story where we are still waiting for the ending. Um, That scene in Revelation when there's no tears and no death and we're face to face with Jesus, God will not have to look at us and say, make your home here because it'll be complete, it'll be full, it'll be finally realized. But we are at a place in the story that we are waiting for this world to become fully and finally the home of God. And in that tension, while we're waiting, here's what Jesus is saying, we are responsible for pursuing God and responsible for enjoying Jesus and responsible for making our home with him while we wait for him to make this place our home fully and finally. United to him, it will never change. You will always be loved by God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Communion with him, it does change. We play a role in that. The degree to which we experience our at-homeness with God is partly up to us. Listen, I I think this is really important. I think it's really easy to misunderstand. And uh, candidly, I'm not confident I've been as clear as what's required. So let let me offer it this way. There's a conversation I have had as a pastor and just as a Jesus follower that I want to have together. Um, And it's it's a conversation I've had with friends over dinner. It's a conversation I've had people coming down front to pray after service. And and here's how it goes. Uh, Somebody will say, I believe in God, but I just don't really feel close to God. Um, I love Jesus, but, but that just feels pretty weak right now. Either his love for me or my love for him, I don't know. 
Um, I, be- I believe that, that God is spirit and that God is present, but I don't feel his presence. And often in that conversation, what happens is we'll point back to a time when things were different, when we felt close to God or God felt near, and we keep trying to get back there, but we just can't seem to like recapture that. Has there ever been a time, Christian, where you could say something like that? Um, don't feel close to God. It feels like uh, if all of this was real, then it should just feel more real than it does. Or so even this morning, you're here, you're looking at me, listening, uh, and you've been reminded you have a longing for home, and that longing is met in Jesus, and yet that doesn't seem to have taken all the longing away, right? It feels like something's missing. Here's how I would have that conversation. And first, let me say this. Uh, I'm not the guy with no problems. I need you to know that. Uh, something I've tried to be really honest with you about over these past four years, uh, I am not as satisfied in Jesus as I should be. And I do not desire Jesus the way that I should. And I often could say something like, I don't feel very close to God. So just know this, I'm not the no problems guy, but Jesus is. And I think we, we could find him together this way. You say, hey, I don't feel close to God. Something seems to be missing. Well, I'd ask a question. Have you trusted Jesus as Savior? Have you, by grace, placed your faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sin and life with him? Not, have you grown up in church? (laughs) Have you lived better than most people? No. Do you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord? And let's say that you'd say yes. That means you're united to Jesus. And here's what I would tell you. You, you You are inseparably joined to Jesus. You're right with God. You have a new, you are who God says you are. You have a new identity in Jesus. You have a new future, resurrection and forever life. You have a new purpose. You're a minister. All the things that we've said these past two or three months, you're at home with God. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You're a Christian. And whatever you're feeling, whatever has led to you asking the question, it means God's love for you is not in question. Because if if Jesus loves you the way the Father has loved him, then you are safe in that love. You say, okay, but I still feel like something's missing. Well, I'd ask another question. Have you been abiding with Jesus? And you'd say, what does that mean? And I say, come on, it's, it's the thing I've been talking about for 25 minutes this morning. <laughs> have you been communing with God? Have, have, you, have you made your home with Jesus? Maybe you'd ask a question back to that. Well, how do I know? Well, verse 10 says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I'd point this out. The love verse comes before the commandments verse. I've loved you comes before keep my commandments. So it's not for love, it's in response to love. But I would ask about obedience in your life. Have you been faithful to love God and others the way that Jesus teaches? Um, Does his word abide in you like he says in 15.7? Have you forgiven those who have sinned against you like he commands in Luke 17? Do you spend time with God in prayer like Jesus teaches in Matthew 6? Do you share your faith with others and make disciples like Jesus commands in Matthew 28? Do you seek grace? Do you confess sin? Hear me. Our disobedience does not disrupt our union with Christ, but our disobedience does disrupt our communion with God. Sinclair Ferguson said, you cannot experience high degrees of Christian assurance with low degrees of Christian obedience. And I am sure we would have a long conversation about that because there's much to say. 
But one of the ways we abide, one of the ways that we make our home while we're waiting for our home to be made complete is by being faithful to what our Savior commanded us to do and living the way that he lived. And maybe that would be most of the conversation. We talk about how we spend our time. We talk about how easily distracted we are. We talk about how, uh, how uh, busyness can often steal our attention away from God. But then at some point I would ask you if I could encourage you with something. And you would say yes, because nobody says no to encouragement. And I would ask you to consider that what you're experiencing is not an absence of faith, but the presence of faith. Like if you would say, gosh, it just feels like something's missing. Well, something is missing. Jesus. Jesus has not returned yet. Those who love him miss him. And maybe part of the lack of closeness that you feel is not a problem with your faith, but it's the right response to a world that is waiting for the fullness of home to return, for God to dwell again with his people. And maybe you haven't said it like that, but I just need you to think about this. The people who care about closeness with God, the people who are bothered by this felt distance with God are the people who long for home with God. You know who I worry about? I worry about those who don't care about these things at all. Those who don't pay any attention to their relationship with God, those who never feel the longing for home with God or who are easily satisfied making their home in things that are not God, those who never ask, am I enjoying God? Am I satisfied in Jesus? Am I obeying God? Am I communing with God? Those whose Christianity has taken on some version of bartering with God or cheap assurance of some afterlife or living however I want or apathetic towards the the love of God, those people have lost the plot. They have missed the point. But if you want more of God, something's missing and and it bothers you. You want to be closer to God. You want more of Jesus. Those are the kinds of things that Christians want because it's what you were made for. And maybe what you're experiencing is not a failure of faith, but a longing for home that only belongs to the faithful. Then I would invite you to read one of my favorite prayers by A.W. Tozer. I pray it often when I'm feeling far from God and I want more of Jesus and I'm not really sure where to go with all that. He says this, it's a prayer. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from the misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what kind of prayer that is? It's a Christian prayer. It's a prayer that has both found home in God and longs for more and more of home with God. The point of Christianity is being at home with God and you, friend, you've been united to Jesus. You are in Christ, loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. Make your home there and know that he will finish what he's started. Let's say our catechism together for the last time and then we'll pray. Citizens Church, as those who are in Christ, what is your only comfort in life and death?
Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. You have made your home with us. You didn't have to. Uh, We abandoned you. You didn't abandon us. And yet in your kindness, you cared so much to share your love and to make your home among us that you rebuilt it with the cost of your own blood. And you welcomed us in. You, you tell your disciples you have gone to prepare a place that you will come again and you will establish here on earth a forever home with you. Um, so a couple different directions, Lord, that I pray. Um, Lord, for those who uh, goodness for the heart God that just has far more apathy towards you than longing for you would you break that heart a severe mercy and I don't know what the objections are. I don't, I don't know what kind of scales have hardened that heart. Uh, but I, I do know that um, you are the kind of God that can take things that have hardened and make them open and humble and receptive to you. Pray that you would do that. Lord, maybe um, what some needed to hear is they just needed to hear um, that things are going better with you than they think they are. <laughs> that, that life with you is this tension of, of being satisfied and then longing for more. Um, life is, with you is this ability to pray these kinds of honest prayers that say, I just, I want to want you more than I do. But those are not faithless prayers, those are prayers of faith. And maybe if we were to repent of anything, we would repent of the lie that we get to be the ones that decide how we're doing with you. When you have so clearly pledged your love to us in Jesus and sealed us with you and declared that we belong to you and are at home with you. We love you and we need you. So we pray. Amen.